Good morning, everybody. Man, I'm encouraged by Jesus, right? All right. If you don't like who you're sitting next to, now's your chance to switch. While I'm looking down, I won't judge you. Just kidding. The notes are really small this week, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to read them. Oops, I don't know what happened. It's quiet. All right. Well, good news. My wife and I have a son. That's awesome. I'm so excited. My wife had a baby this week. His name is Smith Moses, and we got some pictures. That is his adorable little face. I mean, is he not adorable? Smith Moses, who's born Tuesday night at like 11.43 p.m., right? Just made his due date by whatever that is. How many minutes is that? 17 minutes. So he made it, and uh, my wife did the whole home birth thing. She's a champ of champs. It was amazing. That's two babies, all natural for her, so she's incredible. She's a hero. She's amazing. That's Smith. He was uh, born six foot four, 215 pounds. Uh, he's, uh, he's only running like a 4940 right now, so I think he'll, he'll get that time down in the low fours here pretty soon. This is our new family. This is a family of four. Um, that's me. That's Heather. This is Rosie Jubilee, if you've never met her, and Smith Moses. Rose is uh, the most amazing big sister in the whole world, and uh, she's excited. She's really excited about her baby. She tells Heather how to raise him. She tells <laughs> Heather exactly what he needs. She tries to pick him up, and it is adorable. So uh, we're, we're really encouraged by, by God this week. So um, I'm also a little tired, you know. So, you know, if anything heretical comes out, it's Smith's fault and just... We'll move on. I'm pretty tired, so we'll work, we'll work it out, right? Um, so go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter 2. Go back to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2. <clears throat> this morning we are uh, going to talk about politics and God and how the heck those things work together. I don't know, does anybody realize there's a presidential election coming soon? I don't know if you knew that, uh, but it's coming, and... Um, we're going to be voting for somebody as a nation, probably. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, there might be lawsuits, and there might be all kinds of stuff. But uh, things are getting interesting, right? So we're having this election come. And I think, I think church is a great place to talk about, talk about this because I think that there's some, some big questions that we all have in the midst of all of this that God has some really great answers for. And so I want to talk this morning um, about how, do, how, does God, how does God fit in fit into all of this stuff going on, because obviously, like I'm saying, it's a really, really interesting time in our nation, and what's really interesting to me is regardless of who you're voting for, chances are you're not voting for them because you like that person, it's because you really don't like the other person. <laughs> I was seriously thinking this week, I was like, I literally, this is, this is 100% true, I haven't met a single person, I personally haven't talked to anybody who knows who they're voting for that is voting for that person because they like that person. Everybody's reason that I've talked to is like, well, why are you voting for that person? Well, at least it's not the other person. Like, that's discouraging. <laughs> like, I haven't met anybody. If, if you know who you're voting for, you're probably not even that excited about him or her. You probably just really don't like the other options. And that's, you know, everybody knows that's the best reason to do anything, you know. <laughs> so that's, that's a little discouraging. I don't know if it is for you. It's really, it's really fascinating for me. I mean, I think most people's number one reason, if, if you're voting for Hillary Clinton, is because her name is not Donald Trump. 
And it goes the other way as well. Any reason you'd vote for Donald Trump, at least it's not Hillary. At least, and if you're voting for the third party, you probably don't even know their name. You just know it's not Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, and that's good enough for you. You don't know their policy. You don't know where they're from, but you know their name isn't Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, and that is just good enough for you. So it's, it's some interesting times right now, if we're, if we're really, really honest. And, uh, you know, we're all really trying to figure out how to, how to work through all of this. Um, and if you really just don't know who you're voting for, you can just write in Smith Moses Zanaco. He's amazing, and he's going to do a great job running our country. If not this year, maybe next election, but he'll get there. So there's a lot, a lot going on. And at times like these, there, there seems to be so much to focus on in our lives. I mean, everybody's having a different conversation about a different element of our nation, of the election. There's candidates to focus on. There's the election in general, the election process. There's policies to talk about. There's personalities. There's character or lack thereof. There's so many different things that we're talking about. There's your own preferences and everybody else's opinions. There's statistics. There's, it's, I mean, in the, this big mess of things, what do we even focus on? How do I even start to work through personally, this whole, this whole process. And um, in the midst of everything that there is to focus on, I want to talk this morning about focusing on the heart. I'm calling this message the heart of the nation. The heart of the nation. I want you to write that on your notes. At the top of your notes, the heart of the nation. As you look around, as you read the news, as you flip through social media, you see that all of this conversation or dialogue or mono, what all of this that's going on, it's, it's incredibly loaded emotionally. Very little of it just ends at facts. I mean, everything's so loaded emotionally, and very little of the conversation around all this stuff is just about, you know, the facts or just about the policies, just about this or just about that. Everybody, we all have so much emotion wrapped up into all of this. I mean, we live in, a, in a, great, a great nation, but there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of disappointment. I mean, it's like anytime any candidate does anything, you're like, dang it, they did something again. And it was bad again. Here we are. Everybody's just kind of really discouraged overall in all of this. And our nation is great, but our, our people, the people's heart is troubled, right? The heart of our nation is troubled. Your heart is probably pretty troubled in the midst of all of this. That's why there's so much unrest. It's just, ah, my insides, I'm kind of just, it's tearing me up. I don't know what to do. The heart of our nation is really, really troubled right now. People are struggling. I'm struggling through all of this. I mean, let's be real, right? It's not the easiest thing in the world to try to figure this whole thing out right now. And there's just so much baggage with everything that comes up. And uh, there's just a lot, a lot going on. And, and our hearts are really troubled. It seems like everybody's just convinced that the other candidate is going to completely destroy the nation. There's no hope if we, do, if we make a wrong decision. And the political landscape of our nation is completely in, in disarray. But the reason that we're really in disarray is not because of a political system. It's because of our hearts. It's because of the heart of the nation. The heart of the nation is in disarray. And that's why the political system is in disarray. And I want to talk this morning about the heart of the nation, the heart of our nation. And how do we, especially if you're here this morning as, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, what does it look like for us as the church? How, how do we live this kind of, how do we live this out? How do we walk this through under the leadership of Jesus? 
how do we guard our own hearts? And, and what do we focus on in the midst of all of this? So in the midst of talking about all the trouble that's happening and I'm talking about everything's in disarray, none of this is news to anybody. You're not sitting there like, wait, I thought that this was going really well. I was actually really excited about my vote. No, I don't think that was you when you walked in this morning. So it is despite mentioning kind of the state of, of how things are, I want to encourage you that this is no gloom and doom message. That is not why we are here this morning. Uh, this is going to be a message about uh, not, not that we have no hope, but this is not, and this is not a message about how the nation's going down in flames if you vote for the wrong person. That's not, not what this is about. In fact, I'm not even going to talk. I've already mentioned their names enough. I'm not even going to talk about candidates. That's not why we're here this morning. And I think some of you can take a deep breath. Great. He's not going to have to come to church and hear their names again. We don't have to talk about that. It's not going to be a gloom and doom message. If you want to be hopeless, you can leave after this and turn on the news and you'll get plenty hopeless. So that's not why, that's not why we're here this morning. We're here because uh, this is church and our God is not absent. Our God is not distant and our God is not disengaged. Our God is good this morning. And that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about this morning. In the midst of things that are going crazy, what does our good God have to do with all of this? Can I get an amen? Romans 15, 13 is an incredibly encouraging verse to me. And we're going to pull it up on the screen. It says, may the God of hope. That's good. Everybody's worried about, is God going to judge us if we vote for the wrong person? Is God judging us right now? Is he pouring out his wrath? Our God is the God of hope. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Touch your neighbor and say, you abound in hope. You can abound in hope because our God is the God of hope. Our hope does not lie in the political landscape. Our hope does not lie in a specific candidate or a political party or who or who our nation will not elect on November 8th. Our God, our hope is rooted in the God of hope. The God of hope. And my prayer this morning, even as we talk a little bit about politics, this conversation is absolutely spurred on by our current political climate. But my prayer is that we all leave full of hope. That we encounter the God of hope. And he says, as you believe in God, you have the ability to be filled with all the joy and the peace. I want that. Give me some of that. Let's believe in God this morning. Let's believe in God this morning. If nothing else, I just want you to know you are allowed to have hope. Everybody's telling you you're not allowed to have hope for any of this, but you are. You are allowed to be hopeful in the midst of a crazy situation. You are allowed to be hopeful if we'll just believe. So as we begin talking about this and we're talking about the God of hope, where does God fit into all of this? So I have just been, um, you know, over the last several months really praying into all of this, like, God, this is crazy. Where, how does this work in? Where, where are you in all of this? And I'm just wildly encouraged by Jesus all over again. As I read the Bible, as I, as I seek God, even in the midst of crazy, tumultuous times, Jesus is so good. He is so good, and we can seek him. And I've been reading through the Gospels again recently and just realizing that multiple times throughout the Gospels, and if you read all, all the different Gospels, this happens several times, Jesus is, 
he's on his way to do something, or he's on his way to get somewhere, and uh, he notices that these crowds gather. They, they, he's trying, frankly, most of the time, he's trying to avoid people, but they see him, and they chase him down, and there's all these huge crowds, and they, they gather to him. And, and several times, it says that, you know, he's on his way to do something because he needs to get some alone time, so that's okay. You, you can get alone time, just P.S. If you're a mom, tell somebody to watch the kids, go get some alone time, it'd be like Jesus. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, come on, you heard it in church. Poke your husband and say, see, I told you. So Jesus is on his way to do something, and uh, this crowd gathers around him, and it says he had compassion on them. He was going to do something for himself, but all these people gathered around him. It says he had compassion on them. And in one instance, it says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And one specific example, it says that Jesus saw this crowd. It says they were like, it was like they were harassed and helpless. And he had compassion on them. And I think, that sounds about right. Sounds about right. In most conversations you're having, it feels like people are pretty harassed. We're, we're pretty helpless in the midst of all of this. But I want you to know when God sees you in the midst of this uh, kind of turmoil, when God looks at our nation right now, he looks at us with compassion. He says, I'm not, he's not just super angry. He looks at us and he sees that we're at times helpless. At times it seems like we're harassed and he has compassion, the same compassion that a shepherd would have on a herd of sheep that have no shepherd. It's that, that draw to be like, oh, I want to lead them. I want to I care for them. I want to help. I want to help. This is who our God is. When Jesus sees the crowd in turmoil, he has compassion like a shepherd who sees sheep without a shepherd. When I turn on the news, when I flip through Facebook, when I talk to my friends, when I just consider our nation right now, I think that the picture of sheep without a shepherd is a great metaphor for kind of where, where we're at as a country. I don't know where you're coming from this morning, kind of in regards to your political spectrum or what you think about Jesus, but honestly, I think that um, when you think about politics, it is something that should be talked about in church. We absolutely should be talked about, talking about this in church. I think maybe the fact that I'm even talking about this, you're like, ah, oh, pastors aren't supposed to talk about this stuff. But I think this is a great forum for us to work on. Work on what do we do? Because we all feel like sheep without a shepherd. But in John 10, Jesus steps in. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the reason that things are so crazy is because the heart of the nation is like a sheep without a shepherd. Right? We're all looking for who's going to be our leader. Who's going to lead us in the right direction? Who's going to lead us out of the debt? Who's going to lead us into this, away from that? Who's going to lead us? And we need to understand that we only have, there's only one good shepherd. His name is Jesus. And he loves you and he's with you. And we need to get our hearts settled there and then we're more free to engage the conversation of who we elect. All right? Jesus is the good shepherd this morning. I've been encouraged again. When we come submitted to the word of God, when we come submitted to the presence of God, he is faithful to be our good shepherd. He may not always say what we want to hear. He may not always be who we exactly want him to be in a moment, but our God is the good shepherd. And if you're feeling like you are a sheep without a shepherd in this time, I want you to come to Jesus because he is a good shepherd and he will lead you well. Before we jump into a passage this morning, I had you turn to Psalm chapter 2. I want to just kind of set a little bit of framework for this morning. Like I said, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you, we're not going to talk about candidates specifically. We're not going to go into 
character strengths or weakness. We're not going into all. We're not going into all of that. We are here to talk about the heart of our nation. All those conversations are great, but I believe that bigger than the question of who do I vote for, bigger than the question that we're all asking of what do I do with so and so's strength, with so and so's weakness, bigger than those questions, I think that there's honestly three core questions that all these other questions are coming out of. I think there's three really good questions that are much bigger than who do I vote for or what political party is going to lead us in the right direction. I think those are great questions, but I think that there's bigger questions down in our heart, down in our heart. The first question that I want to deal with this morning is where is God? Where is God? I think that we are all asking that on one level. Personally, when it comes to our nation, where is God in all of this? How does God fit in to the political conversation? Does God care about the United States? Does God bless the United States? Does God care about the election? Does he favor? Where is God in all of this? Is anybody asking that question? Where, where in the world is God in all of this? That's the first question that I want to deal with. When it comes to our nation, when it comes to the current political climate, the eminent election, where is God? Where is God? The second question that I believe we're all asking after we're asking the question, our hearts are asking this question, where is God? Our second question is, where are we? Where, where do we fit in all of this? Am I just an ordinary citizen? Am I, what do I do with my vote? Where does my position, my opinions, where does my story, where, where does this fit in? Where do I fit in to all of this? Where is God and where, where do we fit in as a people and more specifically as the church? Where do we fit into the political conversation of our nation? Is that a fair question? Where, where, where are we? Where do I fit in? The third question is this. After dealing with where is God, after dealing with the question of where is we, I think we're all asking this question that spawns the other questions and that is now what do we do? What do we do? If we can see where God is, if we can see where we are, now well, what do we do about it? What, what do we do now? What do we do with all that's happening around us? How do we respond it? How do we respond personally as individuals? How do we respond as the church? How do we respond relationally? I mean, you probably had some heated conversation with some friends. Maybe you've already lost some friends, but you've got coworkers. I mean, the holidays are coming. Yippee, we're going to be around family, and this is going to come up. Hallelujah, right? You're so excited about that. How do, we, how do we work this through relationally? Because it's so sensitive. It's so charged. It's so emotional. How do we respond relationally, and how do we respond personally? What do we do? Those fair questions. I want to ask those three questions. Where is God? Where are we? And what do we do? So we're going to open up to Psalm chapter 2. If you're not there, go ahead and open up there. And we're just going to pretty much walk through Psalm 2 this morning because I believe that these verses give us incredible perspective and incredible amount of truth and direction in regards to these three questions this morning. Anybody ready to read your Bible? Are we doing okay even though we're talking about politics? Anybody just... Move around a little bit. I want to see. Shoulder, seriously. Shoulder, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Wiggle around. Smile. Take a deep breath. All right. Sometimes you just realize you haven't breathed in 30 minutes when you talk about politics, right? You're like, oh, okay, we're done. But this is good news because remember, our God is a God of hope. Hope. And you're allowed to be filled with all joy and peace when we believe in Jesus this morning, Psalm chapter 2. God's going to speak to us, and we're going to have a good time this morning, I promise. 
going to be good news. Psalm, Psalm chapter 2. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 6 here as we get started. And this is dealing with this question, where is God? Psalm 2 starts off this. It says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Hallelujah. That sounds like us. Ah, oh, my page turned. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 2 is pretty intense. We're going to walk through it. There's some uh, awesome imagery and some great truths in these verses. Before we get there, though, I just want us all to admit real quick that we all want Jesus on our side politically, right? We all want Jesus on our side. In fact, the reason that you probably hold your political view regardless of where it lands is because, well, that's what Jesus would do. Well, that's who Jesus would vote for, especially if you're a Christian. I mean, you're not like blatantly coming against it. You would at least not tell anybody if you were doing that, if you're a Christian. I mean, you're a good church person, right? But we all want Jesus on our side politically because obviously Jesus was a Republican when you read the Bible. Obviously, you can't, you can't see how Jesus lived his life and not see that Jesus was clearly a Democrat. Clearly. I mean, he healed everybody. It's like handing out health care like nothing. I mean, clearly <laughs> Jesus was a Democrat. Or clearly Jesus was a Libertarian because he didn't agree with anybody. He just, obviously, Jesus was blank. Obvious. I mean, it's obvious to you, and you want me to stand up here and just tell everybody else what you already know, right? Is that Jesus was obviously in line with your political views. And you just wish everybody would just get in line. Wouldn't it be easier that way? I mean, as Christians, we use Jesus to justify any and all political views. I mean, if you, and if, and if you're not a Jesus follower, you're probably having a hard time looking at Jesus followers right now. Because we're all over the map. We're saying all kinds of stuff and kind of flying off the handle. If you're trying to look for God in all of this by looking at his people, we're probably not helping you out a whole lot because we say, well, obviously he was this, obviously he was that. And you're like, well, those things don't even match up. Where is God in all of this? Like I said, you want me to stand up here and tell everybody what, what you obviously already know because it's obvious which party Jesus belonged to to because he obviously belonged to the one that you do because you belong to it because Jesus did it's so clearly right there in the Bible right but as you read through the gospels you see that people are always trying to pin Jesus down they're always trying to pin him down as you read through the gospels there's just so many examples of um, there, there's there's bad people that come to him there's religious people there's law people everybody comes to Jesus and they're trying to make sure that Jesus is on their team that Jesus, you agree with me, right? They ask him all these religious questions, all these, all these kinds of questions. And if you uh, specifically read through Luke chapter 20, if I can find it in my tiny notes, because I can't figure out how to make the text bigger on this darn thing. Lighten up. You're okay. It's okay. It's, <laughs> oh, man. Luke chapter 20. Read through that chapter, and just in that chapter, there's three examples of three different prominent groups of people that come to Jesus, and it says they came to test him. They ask him a religious question, somebody asks him a law question, and somebody asks him another question. I don't remember what exactly it was. But his answers were so not what they were looking for that the chapter ends where the verse literally says, no one dared ask him another question. 
everybody who came to him to say, you're on my team, right? He'd give them an answer. They were like, I really wish I wouldn't have asked that because now I'm more confused. And then finally they just realized, okay, whatever. Let's just stop trying. Let's stop trying to pin him down. Whether it was questions about taxes, all sorts of things, they're all trying to, they're all trying to get him to land on their team and pesky old Jesus would never bite on their bait. And it got to the point, like I said, where they said, let's just stop asking him questions. So what's my point in all this? What's my point in in telling you about Luke chapter 20 and not Psalm chapter 2? What's my point in all this? Is that we need to understand an incredibly significant truth about Jesus as we enter into this conversation. As we have political conversations, as we live our life in this nation at this time, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, or or maybe you're at least here because you're interested in Jesus, one thing that we have to understand that is incredibly significant about Jesus is that Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. That's a significant truth that we all have to wrap our minds around. Otherwise, we're going to be like the lawyers and the tax collectors and the religious people who came to Jesus, always asking him, hey, mate, you're on my team, right? And he says something that's like, well, that's frustrating. It's going to be a whole lot less stressful when we realize that we don't need to figure out whose side Jesus is on because Jesus is on Jesus' side. Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. In verses 1 through 3 of Psalm chapter 2, it explains what I think accurately is the, is the condition of, of even our nation. And you look around the world politically and, 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 and governments around the world, and it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set, themselves, they set themselves, the rulers take counsel together and against the Lord, and they say to his anointed, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. If you're a Jesus follower, there's not a lot of examples of government that you look to on the planet and think, that's what God's going for right there. And we're all frustrated. I mean, we all, I mean, on one level, people are really, not like in a conspiracy theory sort of way, but it's like these systems all seem rigged. It's like all the privileged get the privileged spots and everybody who isn't privileged just stays down low. It says right here in verse two, they set themselves. That's what it feels like. The people with the money get the money spots, right? That's what we feel like. They set themselves. It, um, they, they take counsel with each other. And you're like, why does everybody who agrees with each other just talk to each other and think everything's going great? It's not. Right? This is kind of where we're at right now. In verses 1 through 3, it, it, it explains people are doing their people thing. They're plotting. They're building systems and kingdoms. They're setting up things their own way. But we've got to understand that in the midst of verses 1 through 3, God steps in in verse 4. And he, it says this, He, God, who sits in heaven, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. All the political systems that man has built, no matter how good or how bad, Jesus is not concerned about them overtaking him. He's not nervous. He's not nervously awaiting November 8th saying, I hope they make the good decision so that I can have my way on the planet. Oh, I really hope they vote for him. I really hope they vote for her because I really want to do some stuff. That is not our God. Everybody who comes up with their great big ideas, God in all his majesty and might and Jesus in his, all of his might where he took over, he laughs and heals them in derision. Everybody's great plans. We've got to understand that God sits on his throne, throne like above all the other thrones and laughs. 
This is our God. It says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. And, and those words we don't like to talk about in church, wrath and fury. But here's the thing. You want God to have wrath and you want God to have fury. Here's how I know this. Because you want God to be just. And I know this because whenever something unjust happens, you blame God for not being just. We want God to be just. And if you're going to be just, you have to undo, destroy, come against injustice, right? There has to be an element of wrath and fury against injustice if you are truly just. So this is good. And so this is saying God in all of his, in his justness and justice, he says that he speaks in his justice, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. A literal way that you could read this in the original language is it says he flares his nostrils. It's like you get this picture of, of everybody on earth plotting their schemes, doing all their stuff, and, and, and God just kind of like sits up in his chair and takes that deep breath where his nostrils flare like I do with Rose sometimes. And he says that's all it takes for him to have his way. And send even the baddest dude on the block running. <laughs> Thank you for somebody having a good time. This is our God. Verse 6 he says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He looks down at, at everything going on on the planet. He says, y'all do what you want, but as for me, just so you know, my king is on my holy hill. He talks about Zion. Zion in the Bible, is a, it's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. And he's saying, just so you know, kings, presidents, rulers, royalty. I have set a king above you kings. In Revelation chapter 19, the author of the book of Revelation, he's, he's recording a vision of Jesus and it says that he saw Jesus and he had this massive tattoo on his leg. It says, King of kings, Lord of lords. This is our God. Our God is not stuck underneath our political systems trying to be like, oh, please let me have my way. He's, he's like, no, I am above you. Above every king, there is a king of kings. Above every lord, there is a lord of lords. Above every government, there is the government of the kingdom of God. Our God is not intimidated. Our God is not scared. Our God is very comfortable on his throne. And he is not intimidated. By the schemes of man. Where is God? He is completely unintimidated. And in fact, he's so secure in his own authority and his power that he can scoff at everything that scares us and he terrifies it. You need to know, where is God? He's on the throne. That's good news. That the God of hope is the king of kings. He's Lord of lords. Where is God? He is on the throne. Thought you were going to be a little bit more encouraged by that than you are. <laughs> where is God? God is on the throne. Now, where are we? Question number two, where, where are we? I want to read just the rest of the, a few more following verses. It says, I, tell, I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Psalm 2 is written by a guy named David. And in the Old Testament, King David is a long story. You can read all about him. But just know this, in so many ways, David was kind of an Old Testament example of what God's hope would be for the church. The, the relationship that, God that David had with God is what God wanted to have with his church in a lot of ways. He's a foreshadowing of the church. So when it says, God said to me, you can take this as a word to you. You can take this as a word to us. 
So in the midst of the nations raging, in the midst of God setting King Jesus on the throne above all things, it says that he looks at us and he says, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask and I will make the nations your inheritance. Where are we? We are in the courts of the king of kings, given full rights to come to him and ask for the nations. Not worry, not fight, not be scared, not be terrified, not beg. Just come before the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and ask for the nations. He says, I will make them your inheritance. It says, the Lord said to me, the Lord says to you, if you are a Christian in here today, this is who you are. He says, church, you're my son. I've adopted you. You are my child. You are not stuck under those systems either. When you get adopted into the king's courts, you become a prince and you become over what he is over. If you get what I'm saying, he's over everything else. And so you are too. Means you don't have to get stuck under all this stuff trying to see, oh, I just can't see God. Where's the gap so I can see God? No, get on top of the emotions. Get on top of the situation. Take peace in God. And then you get to look at the political situation and say, God, would you have your way? Would you have your way? And all of these things. Ask, and I will give you the nations, he says. This is an incredible, incredible promise. And I think, church, we've got to get this, that our God is not freaking out and neither should we. Come on, church. We've got to let this sink in because, just going to say it honestly, we're making ourselves look like idiots sometimes. How much we're freaking out. And apparently our God's on the throne and whoop-de-doo, but I'm terrified and running around and saying all this. No, you're not. You're not scared. Don't be scared. You have nothing to be scared of. Jesus is king and he loves you. All right? Instead of being confident in who God is and being rooted in who we are, I think a lot of us as the church, we're losing our minds. And we're completely missing the point in all of this. We want to post this. We want to share that. We want to send out this article that just drives home my point. No, where is Jesus and where are we? Let's spend our time before God asking for the nations and less time on the internet. Amen. I'm just going to be honest. If you want to stop being so anxious, stop reading about it. It's not changing anything, but what can change something is a child of God stepping before the king of kings and saying, Lord, give us the nations. Give us the nations. And that doesn't mean I want to I take it for, for, for myself. The vision of our church comes out of the Bible. says we want to preach the gospel of the kingdom and make others great. Lord, give us this nation as the church. Lord, would you give us this nation so we can lift people up, so we can bring people to you, so people can be pulled out of the things that are hurting them. Lord, would you give us the nations? Pray. Believe who you are in God. We got saved. That's awesome. Like, born again, adopted. I mean, if you haven't read this, what it says about you, when you stand before God, you have way more pull than the president of the United States before God. His title means nothing. Your lack of title means nothing. What matters is that you were born of Jesus. You're made pure. You're made righteous. What matters is that when God looks at you, he says, you are my son. And today I have begotten you. He says, today, in the day of the nations raging, today, in the day of me putting my king on the throne, today I have begotten you. In other words, today you are my son and you were born for this. 
Come on, church, rise up. We don't have to be scared. We need to take possession of our identity and say we were born for this. We were born to be a safe place for people who are scared. We are born to be a place of clarity in the midst of confusion. We are born to be a place of compassion in, 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 in a place where everybody's hating on each other. We need to be the people of God. Somebody say amen if you believe me. And then verse 9, it says this, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It's like, I thought we were supposed to be nice. We're talking about the heart of the nation. When we say, God, give us this nation, the prayer, in other words, that prayer is, God, would you get the heart of our nation? Or would you turn the heart of our nation to you? Or would you bring people to you? Because if we can get the heart of the nation, our political system is built to follow. When it talks about breaking down everything with iron and breaking stuff and all that kind of stuff, what it's saying is if, you can get the, if, if God can get the heart of the people, the policies will take care of themselves. The, the pain will take care of itself. The lack of justice will take care of itself. The corruption will take care of itself if all the people are pure. Right? If we're a nation just repenting and living before Jesus in freedom and living in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, baptized in Him like we talked about a few weeks ago, I mean, there's not going to be a whole lot of corruption. Right? It's not that we don't need the policies to change. We need our hearts to change. We need to get before God and ask for the nations. Are you tracking with me? All right. Once we get the heart of the nation, verse 9 takes care of itself. Because God is moving in the people. So where are we? Where are we? Where is God? God is on the throne. Where are we? We are in the greatest place of influence in the universe if we will choose to accept it. Where are you as a Christian? You are in the greatest place of influence if you will choose to accept it. You don't believe me, but it's in the Bible. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What do we do? What do we do now? If that's where God is, if this is where we are, what do we do? Verses 10 through 12 are interesting. They're obviously a very clear warning, but it also is an incredibly clear invitation. Whenever God throws out a warning, he's always throwing out an invitation as well. You need to write that down. When God throws out a warning, it's always with an invitation. It says, serve the Lord with fear. In other words, honor him, respect him. Show God the honor that is due to the king of kings, to the Lord of lords. Allow God to be God. Come to him. Come under him. Submit to him. He is good. He is God. He is king. That's how you, that's how you act around a king, right? You, you, there's a, there is a healthy respect, a fear, an honor, a reverence that you are God. I am not. You're in charge. I am not. You are God. I am not. We could say that a thousand times over again, couldn't we? You are God, I am not. Serve him with this, with this honor. Uh, honor his purity, his holiness, his greatness. Come before him with appropriate respect of his might. Honor Jesus instead of rebelling against him. What do we do? We honor Jesus. This is what we need to believe for our nation, that we would be a people that honors Jesus as king. That we come before him, we love him, we live in the purity that he gives us, that, that we don't live our lives rebelling, going our own ways, standing before God saying, well, God, that's great that you think it should go that way, I think it should go this way, and I'm bigger than you, so I'll just do it me. 
That's what we're doing when we sin, all of us. I'm not talking about them out there in the nation. I'm talking about me and my sin sometimes. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, God, that's a great idea, but trust me, I got this. We need to honor Jesus. We, we have to live our lives pure before God. And this is what the world is looking for. The world is looking for some, a church that will genuinely live their lives submitted to Jesus. Because Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And everybody's looking for abundant life, which means everybody's looking for you to live in it. That's the warning. He said, if you, if you rebel against me, then I have to have justice towards your rebellion, right? God has wrath towards everything that separates people from him and hurts them. It's called sin. And we want him to have that. You want him to be just against the injustice in the world. But sometimes we are the perpetrators of the injustice. We need to be humble and come before God and honor him. Because his arms are open. And this is the invitation. I love that the last line of this whole psalm, there's words like wrath and fury and destruction and all these sort of things. He says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. What is God saying? He's saying the nations are raging. I'm the king of kings. You're my church. I want to give you the nations if you'll ask. Turn from your wicked ways because I have to be just against your injustice. And the only safe place is right here with me. Come on. The safest place from God is not trying to run from him and hide. It says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. We've got to come to Jesus. What do we do? We come to Jesus. We believe for the heart of our nation to turn to Jesus. And we as the church have to come to Jesus too. We've got to stop segmenting him out of our political conversations and be like, well, he's not big enough to handle that. I'm going to have to figure that one out. We've got to turn to Jesus and honor him. Amen? Didn't get a chance to run through this, so I'm going to go along a little bit. Because I've got a three-day-old. And I'm not sorry. (laughs) What do we do? I'm going to give you some practicals very quickly, as quickly as I possibly can, okay? Personally and relationally are two what-do-I-do's that I want to deal with real quickly, okay? Personally and relationally. Personally, what do we do? We pray. We pray. We pray, we pray, we pray. That's not like plan B. We pray. Pray like you believe that you're standing before the King of Kings. Pray like you believe you've been adopted as a child. Pray. Pray and believe God for a mighty move in our time. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the people you don't like. Because if the person you don't like gets elected, let's pray. Let's pray. Pray pray that our leaders turn to Jesus. They have amazing encounters with him. I want to pray that any of our candidates, whoever it is, that they just have this incredibly deep relationship with Jesus. That God shows up to them in a dream and lets them know how good he is and the potential on their lives. I mean, every person that's running for a candidate is a human being. Believe it or not. And Jesus loves them just like he loves you. He's got a plan for them just like he's got a plan for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. The best way to get rid of your hate for somebody is to start praying for them. Just start praying. That's not like a cute Christian thing. I'm, like, it's for real. Yeah. It's not like, oh, be nicer. No, God will do something in your heart if we'll pray. And I want you to continue to personally engage in the conversation, engage in the situation, but engage with prayer. Engage with prayer. As you're reading the news, ask God, Lord, what are you actually saying in all of this? What's true? What should I care about? What should I not care about? What's freaking me out and why? Where are you? Where am I? 
See, you have a conversation with Jesus as you go through it. Your Facebook posts are great and all, but your prayers are actually powerful. All right? If I wanted to control you, I'd say, get off Facebook, but I'm not going to say that. So, When you're mad, pray. When you're frustrated, pray. When you're scared, pray. When you're encouraged, pray. Let's pray and believe God. When you pray for leaders and policies, pray for the heart of our nation. Don't just pray that this gets overturned or this gets accepted because that's not going to change anybody's heart. Let's pray for the heart of the nation. What if the church rose up and believed we were born for this time? Let's stand before God and ask for the heart of the nation. Amen? So put it frankly, let's get off the internet and get on our knees and believe God. Okay? <laughs> Lastly, personally, I really encourage you to vote. I know a lot of people are like, I can't vote morally. And I, on some level, I, I understand that. That there might be some things that you just can't get past. And you're like, I can't vote for anybody. Like, I can't, I couldn't live with myself if I voted for an XYZ person. And on one level, I understand that, but I encourage you to at least go to the ballot box because there's a lot of other opportunities to vote for a lot of other positions down the line, locally, at the state level, at the federal level, that can have just as much impact on our community and on our nation as the president. So please vote. Please do some research. And while you pray, ask God, look for the godly people all down the line, right? And I, okay, I'll just leave it there because we, we don't have a lot of time. So please, just go, go vote. And I'm not even saying you don't even have to vote for the president. But vote for some other things. You have an opportunity, and it's precious in this country. And as the people of God, we do have an opportunity not just to stand in a place of influence in prayer, but to stand in a place of influence at the ballot box and, and, and um, cast our vote for things that we think God cares about. All right? Cool. Relationally, we'll move on here. Relationally, what do we do? How many of you have other people in your life? Anybody? Nice. <laughs> Ten of you have other people in your life. I don't know what the rest of you are looking at, but as Christians, we've got the opportunity to show the world how to navigate this relationally. Because really, that's where it matters most to us. You're probably not going to meet any of these presidential candidates and talk to them, but you are going to talk to your neighbor you're going to talk to your family, your coworker, your spouse, your kids. You're going to talk to people in your life. And, and I think that we've got an incredible opportunity as the church to show people how to navigate this situation. And I think that it just might draw people to Jesus. People, I, or I want to encourage you to do this. I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to do everything you can to keep people before your politics, relationally. When it comes to the people in your life, keep people before your politics. I'm not saying your politics doesn't matter. I'm saying that the people in front of you matter more. And when you're pretty sure that that person you're talking to that disagrees with you is growing horns out of their head, remember, they're a person. <laughs> they're a person. And there's this fascinating thing about our opinions is that your opinions make perfect sense to you. And the person that you're talking to who disagrees with you, their opinions make perfect sense to them. And in the midst of there's a disagreement there, they're not, they're not demon-possessed or brain-dead, probably. There's probably just something that you might not know. There's something you probably don't know about them. There's something you probably don't know about their story. There's something you probably don't know about their journey, about their thought process. You, there's something probably that you don't know. If you disagree with somebody, it's probably not because they're ignorant. It's because there's just something y'all don't know about each other. 
And if you can keep your people before your politics, you can go after the heart of the nation. Because that frees you up to do an incredible thing. Ask questions. You do have something to learn in all of this. Even if you're right about everything, that doesn't mean you know everything. That's not the point. You've got an opportunity. We as the people of God have an opportunity in this charged climate to ask really good questions that engage conversation and help us get to the heart of people. Because at the end of the day, you changing somebody's politics doesn't really matter eternally. Let's go after the heart of the nation. So a really simple question that you can ask somebody when they disagree with you is, oh, what brought you to that conclusion? Just ask a really simple question. It's not, it's not loaded. It's not like, wow, you're a moron. What could you possibly think? How could you possibly think that's a good idea? No, genuinely ask the question. Oh, wow, okay, you're going to vote for that person. Oh, you're on this side of the issue. Okay, tell me about that. How did you land there? What kind of, what's your thought process like? I'd really like to just kind of learn your story. And when you ask that question, you'll realize really soon people stop talking about politics and they start talking about their personal story. It's amazing what happens, especially, oh my gosh. Just ask the question. Ask the question to somebody. When you see somebody who's holding up a sign that you don't necessarily agree with, ask them, hey, what does that mean to you? And they're going to say, well, this and that. And they're probably going to use some pretty broad language and say, okay, no, that's great. But like, no, what does it mean like, to you? What does it mean to you that black lives matter? What does it mean to you personally? What does it mean to you that you're voting for Hillary Clinton for Donald Trump? What does it mean to you that all lives matter? What does it mean to you that you care about this? Like, what, like for you, why? Why is that such a big deal? And you'll start to hear, well, I lost my friend on that street corner the other day. Well, this happened to my mom. This happened to my dad. We actually grew up uh, without a home, and so I just really care about the homeless. And they're the ones that, you see what I'm saying? Taking too long, but you see what I'm saying. Ask the question, how did, you, how, did you, how did you land there? And another great question that you can ask to follow up that, to continue on really cool conversations, is say, have you always thought that? Have you, always, have you always kind of had that train of thought? Have you always agreed with that? Have you always been on this side of the issue? This is a really great way to get some insight into people's hearts, right? So relationally, let's ask questions and not demonize people because people are people, not demons. <laughs> so in general, in all of that, write this down. Be a student, not a critic. Be a student not a critic. You have something to learn, and if you don't think you have something to learn, you're being arrogant. That's not helping anybody. <laughs> it's probably, anyways, I'm not going to say that. I think that's a good place to end. We'll be done. <laughs> I want the worship team to come up. We're going to, um, as they're coming up, I want you to stand up. And uh, I want you to just get with like three or, I mean, two or three people around you. Just kind of like stand together. I'm gonna, we're going to pray together as the worship team comes up. We're going to pray for our nation right now. And then we're going to end with a song, uh, the song that we sang earlier, You Are Good. Because we're going to declare that over our own hearts, over the heart of our nation, that he is good. He is good. He is good. Somebody put a smile on your face because you believe he's good. Come on. All right, get with like two, three other people. Just stand around them. You don't have to know their name. Just stand there. And put your, put your hand on their shoulders, and I'm going to pray, and let's just all agree together. We're going to agree together for God to move as our worship team gets set here. 
Is it okay that the person you're talking to may not have the same political point of view as you? Is the person they may be, is it cool that they might be a part of a different party? But maybe we can stand before God together like this, right? All right, Jesus, we love you. And we do, we ask for the nations, Lord. We ask for the heart of our nation in this time. Lord, you are good and you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I thank you that on November 9th, we're gonna wake up and you're gonna be on the throne. Thank you. That is not gonna change you at all. Lord, I pray that we will be a people that rise up and, and realize that in the midst of everything that may change, everything that may come, you are good. You are good. Whoa. You are good. Lord, I pray that we would never abdicate our responsibility to love you and love our neighbor to the President of the United States or some political party. Lord, I pray that we would be people faithful to love Jesus in our everyday life, to love the people that you put in front of us. Lord, I ask for grace relationally to love our family, to love our coworkers, to ask good questions. Lord, would you keep us from getting offended so that we can get to the heart? Would you teach us to get to the heart of this nation? So in Jesus' name, Lord, in Jesus' name, we stand before you. We stand before heaven this morning. And we say, oh God, would you give us the nation? Would you give us the heart of the nation for the glory of God? I pray that this next season in our nation will be the greatest season of revival that the world's ever seen. I pray that a move of the Holy Spirit would happen in our nation in our time that the world's never seen before. I pray that it would touch the nations of the earth. I pray that the poor would be set free. I pray that the poor would hear good news. The sick would be healed. Lord, I pray that the dead would be raised, that the helpless would be helped, that the fatherless would find a family. Lord, I pray that the broken would be healed. I pray that those who have been cast aside would be brought in to a church that believes in a good, good God, that believes in a God of hope that fills us with all joy, with all all peace if we'll just believe. Lord, we don't believe in the United States. We don't believe in Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Trump or Clinton or anybody else. We believe in the God of hope. We believe in Jesus. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Would you turn the 